Welcome to UX Soup, a short-form podcast where you can join me, Lisa Cooper, as I go beyond the buzzwords and talk about the latest user research, technology innovation, and all things impacting user experience of personal devices and services, whether it be at home or on the go. As always, UX Soup is sponsored by Strategy Analytics, a global research and consulting firm providing our clients all over the world with insights, analysis, and expertise. Today, we have an interesting topic for you, a topic that's coming up more often as more and more of our lives are being transformed by technology. This topic is interoperability and how large complex organizations deal with this issue. So what do we mean by interoperability? This is something we've spoken about before in episodes 30 and 31. There are issues associated with how to seamlessly integrate various digital products and systems. So when you're dealing with a large, complex system, such as the National Health Service, or NHS in the UK, which works with millions of patients, healthcare providers, and specialties, these devices have to be able to speak the same language, share the same data, and be accessed across various groups for various reasons. Given that they're designed and manufactured by various companies across the globe using their own platforms, this can be problematic for any organization let alone one as complex as the NHS. So today we're talking with Irina Bolichevsky, who leads the Standards and Interoperability team at NHSX. Welcome to the show, Irina. Lovely to be here. Thank you, Lisa. So for those who are unaware, could you give us a quick overview of what NHSX does and your role within that group? Absolutely. So NHSX is the sort of digital transformation arm of NHS England and Improvement. It's a joint body between the Department of Health and NHS England and Improvement. And we basically have a lot of different programs to help digitize, transform and connect um, the health and adult social care service. As you've said, it's a huge challenge. There are thousands of disparate systems and hundreds of organizations and, you know, every GP practices its own sort of private company. There are complicated um, setups between how hospitals and trusts are managed and information doesn't always flow as easily as it could or should do between different contexts. And, you know, we've kind of seen this, especially during the pandemic where there's just a lot of things that if all the information was kind of more standardized or able to flow, we hopefully would have avoided some of the issues between kind of knowing who's being discharged where and, and what medications they're on or what diagnosis they have and, and providing that same care. I'm, I'm sure lots of uh, people have experienced situations where they are seen by different teams who just don't have their history at the hand and they're kind of having to repeat or remember potentially complicated or difficult histories and you know we're here to kind of really change that and transform those pathways and and uh, services and actually also join up social care and the the healthcare services more closely quite the task (laughs) it is it is a challenge it is it is not it is not easy and I think when when I um, took this role just at the start of the pandemic last year I think a lot of people were like that's bold. <laughs> to be, to be, uh, and I was like, that's a, that's a bold, bold move, Irina. And so, so as you said, I'm, I'm Irina Bolshevsky and I'm the director of standards and interoperability. So I, I really lead on that kind of interoperability standards 
within NHS England, but also working very closely with devolved administrations and, you know, in other countries as part of our kind of G7 and other international work, because obviously standards are often international um, as opposed to national, especially since um, a lot of healthcare providers operate within multiple jurisdictions. You know, we have a lot of US-based healthcare providers as well. So it's actually quite a quite an interesting but very very complex um both technical yeah. and political uh area wow something i hadn't thought about is the international aspect of it when you say healthcare providers do you mean doctors or do you mean the the systems and the software that healthcare providers <laughs> use and right. um so you 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 know often you'll have a lot of uh, hospitals will use electronic um, uh, medical records. Is that what you mean? Yeah, exactly. Yes. Electronic okay. patient records, electronic, or you know, in the US, they're more often called electronic medical records. Yeah. Software. Um, there's might be imaging software. You know, like in every different speciality. Yeah. Um, radiology, pathology. You know, each of these will be different kind of bits of software, and a lot of this used to be paper based. And it is moving towards digital. And but however, I think the biggest issue is that these different systems still don't talk to each other. Yeah. So, for example, say you come into A&E and um, you might get kind of booked in, in with one service. You might then get taken and have tests, but then they might be entered into a different program. And these things will have to be keyed and rekeyed. And actually, sometimes the only way for different teams to see your kind of uh, history and scan and what, what each different kind of set of tests have checked will be to have their paper copy and part of it is I think quite rightly a desire to protect privacy and not sort of make sure that data is accessible by anyone but actually technically we have the tools to really you know have quite fine-grained access controls and the things that we're trying to do and my team's working on is looking at what do we need to put in place so that the right information is available at the right time when it's needed by for the right people so that they can provide the best possible care and citizens and sort of patients residents themselves are empowered to also be able to kind of have that transparency and ownership of their healthcare information i'm curious when you say standards do you mean standards that are international also then are you going at the high level all the way down to the the electronic medical record systems? That's a really good question because there are so many different types of standards and there's um, outcome standards, performance standards, usability standards, security standards. In the NHS, we also have the kind of NHS service design standards, which are, you, you know, folks might know about the kind of original GDS service design um, standards and there's a sort of health version of that. And in terms of the things that we're looking at, it's mostly content information standards and sort of technical standards. So you can loosely sort of separate it out into two things. One, which is how do we make sure we're talking about the same thing mm -hmm. in different contexts? You know, how, because there's, there's a lot of different um, clinical terms that clinicians use and staff, and staff use. Um, but actually, what does that refer to? How do we consistently record patient demographic information? You know, what are what are the different types of genders that we capture? What are the um, how do we capture when someone was admitted or 
um, how do we capture diagnoses or medications? Because obviously you want um, the medications to be captured in a really standardized way that pharmacies understand, that different teams understand, so you know exactly the drug, exactly the dosage, and, um, and that can sort of be translated between all kinds of different systems because there's so many different systems that, that run off that. In order to talk about the same thing, there's a few different things. There's sort of the clinical almost terms and definitions. There's the sort of data model, or the, sort of how do you make it into structured data? Um, so the kind of validation, is this, is this a date formatted by ISO? Is this a, is this a name, pretext? Is this something else? Is this a lookup um, against the personal demographic service to check the NHS number is valid? And then there's how do you actually move that information around? How do you access that information between different systems? Interoperability kind of in, in this context mm -hmm. means that, that different sort of, I guess, products and services are designed to interface together across organization um, product boundaries in a way that's essentially relatively seamless. So that, you know, it, should, it just works. Like you shouldn't have to do a huge amount of manual work to make that work. And one of the kind of examples I have is like we actually have a lot of interoperability on the web. You know, we, can, mm -hmm. we can all create websites, but also um, the, the way it relates to standards. I often explain by talking about email. Um, if I log into Gmail, for example, and create an email to a Hotmail user, I just put in their email address mm -hmm. and it works. Yeah. I don't get an error message saying, I'm sorry, this is not a Gmail user. At least if you were using Hotmail, you wouldn't get a message saying, well, someone tried to send you something, but you know, you need to create an account to be able to get it. Um, or you don't get, or you know, worse still, you wouldn't get anything. It just works. It's because they use the same protocols. And in a technology that's you know very similar, like instant messaging, mm -hmm. we don't have them. You know, WhatsApp doesn't talk to Signal, doesn't talk to Skype, doesn't talk to Telegram, doesn't talk to Facebook Messenger, doesn't talk to Twitter. Yeah, like these things are you know functionally um, very similar, but you have to remember which of your friends is on WhatsApp, yes, and who is on something else in order to be able to message them. That's and a great example. And it's insane. Yeah. Um, because the actually the standards for instant messaging exist. And actually, if you go back five or six years, Facebook and Google used to use XMPP or Jabra. So you could actually, using um, apps like Pigeon or Adium or whatever, uh, you could talk between them. So for example, you could be logged into Facebook Messenger, I could be logged into Gchat, and I could send you a message. So what happened? What happened was the desire to command and control and, you know, digital monopolies of like, no, it needs to be on my platform. Um, otherwise, you don't get to play. So technically, so I think this is what's just so interesting about interoperability, which is technically it's possible for instant messaging to, to work. I mean, there are things to work out, which is like, how do you support all of the different feature sets or have common emojis that map to, you know, there are things to work out. But technically, it's possible. It's the will that isn't there. So the standards exist, but there's no interoperability. And in email, it's an old enough technology that, you know, like it's really hard to shift. Um, the standards are there, and everyone does use them. And they've, you know, they've not managed to move away from them. And arguably, that's probably why email is so central 
to people's lives and work because it does work across these boundaries and it just works. Why do you think in healthcare that's not happened with companies that supply these uh, software systems and devices? Well, I think very similar reasons to why it doesn't work right now in sort of in, in social media, which is the incentives aren't always aligned. And in the case of um, health and social care, the standards aren't always there. So I think you need two things. You need the standards to be there. And there's like a whole range of different sort of layers of standards, protocol standards. And like I said, in our case, we're sort of mostly looking at these sort of, are you sure you're talking about the same thing? And then how do you transport that information in a safe, secure way between different um, organizations, which are often uh, referred to as like API endpoints. Um, in, and we specifically largely use of HL7 international standards, like Firebase standards for, for that transport. Um, so sometimes the standards aren't there, but more often than not, the standards that exist might not be quite right for the purpose or the function and need to be kind of refined and tailored but really it's more that they're not adopted and why aren't they adopted you know and that looks to the kind of the the drivers and incentives that exist that's one of the things that we're looking at was actually how do you drive that adoption because you don't get the benefits of interoperability um, until these standards are more or less like widely or you sort of more universally adopted by all of these different systems yeah and you know and there are there are good reasons to to use these standards because technically if you are if you're a company trying to provide services that are quite specific within within a trust for example if there isn't a standard you might have to build a kind of custom integration to every single other product yeah. Um, presuming, you know, assuming your sort of client wants that, um, whilst if there's a standard, you can build that one integration to that standard and it should just work. So, you know, technically it should help uh, drive uptake. But in reality, there's a lot of incumbents, there's a lot of established software suppliers that, you know, aren't that incentivized to do that. And they say, well, why would you, you know, why would you want these standards? Just buy our software for everything. Because if you buy our products for everything, they, they'll, they'll work, they'll talk to each other. And, and also just actually the, the pace of digital innovation yeah. is not as fast as it, as it could be, frankly. How do you incentivize them, though? That's the key. Actually, this has been a decades-old problem and a priority in tropability. It's, it's, you know, it's not a kind of novel idea. No, not um, at all. Everyone thinks this is really good because actually either you, you, know, you, you favor monopolies and you buy everything from one supplier, but then you've got all of these problems, which is you're stuck, you're locked in. They're not incentivized to provide a very good, adaptive, more usable service because, you know, their kind of clients are trapped. Yeah. And um, ultimately, you don't benefit from organizations that are really specialist and just do a particular thing or a particular functionality just incredibly well. Yeah. So interoperability is just it's sort of a no brainer, you, you know. Clinicians and staff need to access information across different contexts. That's so important. You know, yes. we know that that drives better care. It also can help drive um, insights for policy and population health and, and optimizations and improvements and all, you know, just having kind of information in more standardized formats and accessible in certain contexts is just obviously a good thing. You know, it, it opens the doors to a more sort of learning, evolving health and, and care system. 
but really fundamentally also drives a better ecosystem of suppliers because suddenly you can choose the best, the most usable applications uh, for particular things and it won't break everything else. Yeah. And you can choose based on value and quality, not what works with the existing system because technically everything should work with the existing system. So, you know, why aren't we there yet? Like, why? Yeah. What's, the, what's the problem? And, and it is this one of adoption. And I think it's really, it's really easy to say, great, well, legislation, let's just mandate all the way. But that has um, often been tried and it's not, and it's not always successful because how do you enforce it? And what do people do in the meantime? And actually, what if there isn't any compliant technology? What are all of these hundreds of thousands of organizations need to do? And it's, it's very high ha- heavy handed. So the things that we're looking at is actually a whole range of interventions, which is to look at, well, how do you make sure the standards that are developed are really fit for purpose mm-hmm. um, and can be adopted? So we're designing in making it easy to comply and adopt these standards from the start. We're thinking about what's, you know, what's the problem they solve? What's the purpose of the standard? Yeah. Do we have evidence user needs? Are they designed in consultation with the suppliers who are going to also implement them in consultation with the users and the beneficiaries of this standard? You know, are they based in reality? And actually, are we making it really clear what's required and by whom and by when? Are we sending consistent messages across mm-hmm. all of our sort of, various frameworks and incentives so when it comes to guidance or when it comes to procurement frameworks when it comes to putting things into the health and social care act you know are we actually being consistent saying actually this this standard is really important and we we need the system to adopt that are we making the kind of conformance criteria like how do you know whether someone has met the standard or not yeah really obvious like are we you know have we put in place those sort of assurance assessments uh, frameworks do we have the kind of governance structures so that when investment is being made into digitizing services, that we're actually making sure that the things that we're paying for and we're funding meet the standards and, and are designed to be interoperable? So that all of that work, all of that kind of almost, I would say, quite boring, you know, foundational infrastructure work, that's precisely what I'm looking to put in place because I just think it's really fundamental and it's often not very sexy, um, <laughs> but it's a really hard problem. Yeah. And getting that kind of lining up all of the different sort of work that goes on and putting in place the right structures and governance yes. enables all of the different teams that are working on this to start pulling together and be empowered to do the right thing and make it easy for them to do the right thing. Whilst right, right now people are having to kind of sort of figure things out for themselves and Mm-hmm. Um, reinvent the wheel at health and care is very big and complicated yeah. decentralized so any way in which we can make that easier I think will help drive adoption in a big way and actually some of these are kind of I think relatively uh, low-hanging fruits mm-hmm. um, which maybe haven't necessarily been solved because they're low-hanging but also slightly complicated and also not sort of sexy enough yeah yes <laughs> What kind of processes are you using for this? Are you doing more of a co-created process with various users, with healthcare providers and patients? I mean, you also have more remote healthcare monitoring at this point because COVID has had an effect on the way we're treating patients now. So there's so many people involved. It's, it's so complex. 
And I'm just curious where you're starting with this. It it is hard and we have to start somewhere. So my background is very much in um, a kind of open and civic tech community and in uh, sort of decentralized kind of communities. So I'm a huge fan of transparency, collaboration, co-creation, bringing people around together to have a kind of diversity of uh, approaches and ideas. Because for me, I think that that is how you get to the best outcome. And you need to have representatives of not just your immediate sort of, I guess, users or stakeholders, such as in our case, often commissioners of technology. So who Mm -hmm. spends money on technology, but also the kind of the vendors and suppliers who provide the technology. But it's really important to have like patient representatives and clinical groups, as well as anyone who's sort of intending to ultimately benefit and be sort of, you know, using the outcome of these standards, they need to inform how that works, because you might get a bunch of vendors together or providers together, and they'll have a theory about what doctors are going to do and what they have time to do and how they're going to code things up into SNOMED. And the reality might be quite different, and it might not be doctors, it might be coders, and it might need to be at a different point in the workflow. So part of building that trust in the sort of standards themselves is making sure that we have a more inclusive process. Yeah, it's like buy-in from the very start. More transparent and inclusive process. And in my experience, that A, makes the end result better, but B, builds that kind of trust and buy-in from the start. So sometimes it can take longer, but I'm hoping, you know, one of the things we're doing with the end-to-end model is actually trying to bring some clarity about currently how standards is developed. And it's quite a, quite an opaque, convoluted, possibly double, triple looping process. So there's actually got a lot of efficiencies that we can have by just streamlining and simplifying and thinking at, at what stage, what's the purpose of that stage? How do we make it really good? How do we sort of help that deliver a particular benefit or make this more likely to be adopted and implemented? or make this more aligned internationally uh, yeah. or, or something else will help inform international standards. And um, so we were due to kind of in the next couple of months put out for kind of consultation a new sort of end-to-end model for standards development. And we're running lots of different workshops on this and obviously talking about some of this work. We have a public kind of community of interest that we've, uh, that we've started, that my engagement with Tom is leading that basically anyone is welcome to sign up and join. They just need to sort of email him. And again, trying to sort of do things more in the open to give people an opportunity to kind of help contribute because it's a really complicated space and everyone sort of, you know, people have different definitions of what standards are and, you know, and actually what different types and layers of standards are involved. And if we're not able to sort of talk about the same things, then it's much harder to solve the problems. Yeah, absolutely. So what kind of timeline are you looking at for these standards development? Right now, we're sort of focused on getting some of this infrastructure, this sort of almost like the sausage making machine uh, <laughs> um, refined and redesigned. Or, or maybe another way I talk about it is like sharpening our tools, you know? Yeah. You're going to go try and chop down a very intimidating looking forest. You don't want to do it with a sort of blunt um with a blunt yeah. instrument um and so over the next few months so really over the next sort of six months to a year we'll have a whole range of things coming out so this new end-to-end model which we're going to try we're going to put out this sort of initial draft consultation in the next couple of months 
and um, iterate from there and then sort of slowly embed. We're looking at kind of governance and the policy and legislation that might need to accompany that and help kind of create meaningful gateways. So we don't just have sort of talking shop boards, but we think about what are the decisions that need making? What are the sort of gateways and sort of review points that actually are really important to those checkpoints and how do we put them into, into a process that is inclusive and makes sense? We've got a roadmap, um, which we'll be publishing and maintaining, which kind of provides that forward view of across all the different programs across the NHS and adult social care, what standards are kind of coming up and what's the timeline so that suppliers can plan and uh, providers who are commissioning sort of software can also think about what will be available because actually organizations need a lot of lead time. Yeah, We've got a standards hub that we're developing now. We're sort of in, in alpha at the moment. We did a discovery earlier in the year that was really interesting. We did a lot of user research with some more suppliers, with all kinds of people and just learned so much about some of the kind of challenges around um, standards and adoption. And that this standards hub is sort of intended to become two things. One, which is sort of a bit of a one-stop shop um source of truth about what exists and what sort of what's maintained what's deprecated what's required in what context for what use case so which standards apply to what types of suppliers or care settings Mm -hmm. but secondly provide a forum for people to kind of maintain and contribute information and and around that and standards around standards so sort of maybe reference implementations other guidance there's sort of there's not a good place for having a kind of responsive service with feedback and so we're really keen to kind of make sure we provide all of the metadata and information and keep this up to date as possible and so part of that is designing a much more interactive service Mm -hmm. where people can kind of comment feedback sort of almost like in a GitHub pull request way, contribute things. When you say people, do you mean healthcare providers or anyone that's sort of involved in the system? Anyone really that's involved, I think, in in the sort of health and care ecosystem. But I think specifically around digital transformation and digital sort of service provision, a lot of organizations will have people who specifically look at standards we we want to open that up. It should be very just diverse. Standards geeks who think about this. This you know, in order for this to succeed, it needs to be on the priority list and for everyone just across every layer of seniority. So this sounds uh, like it, it may take a, a few years to get this pulled together. This is a, a very complex problem. It is a really complex problem. I think we've been a little bit ambitious um, with, with our timelines and we've sort of been like the first versions of these are going to be all available all now but I do think that kind of getting to that initial set of pieces like the, yeah. the, the hub the roadmap into a process the governance and um, the communities of interest sort of the coordination and also prioritization and actually what standards do we really drive forward and, and how do we help sort of prioritize by need um, and by numbers that is going to probably take two or three years. And I think that's the kind of, that's the, that's the current goal. And once those things are in place, then we have a much more streamlined and effective process through which to then start looking at um, supporting and driving through individual transformation projects, but also looking at what are the blockers to adoption. And, you know, once, once you kind of address some of these more obvious things, there might be other stuff that comes up. Yeah. Um, but it will be a lot easier to start looking at like, well, do we need a lot more stricter sort of legislation or something? Or do we need kind of more funding towards this? It'd be a lot easier to sort of see that once some of, some of this is in place. Absolutely. And it'd be worthwhile once, once you've gone through all of that. It's just, 
it's so complex. You have to spend that time um, to really look at all the pieces. So how do people find out about where you are with this? Is this, you have a, I know you have a blog on an HSX website. Yes. Do you publish frequently on that blog? Uh, not yet, but that is definitely the plan. So we do, we do have another blog post hopefully coming out soon on the, on the roadmap and definitely another one kind of planned, um, about the standards hub work. And, and there's also the community of interest that we're initially trying to do every couple of weeks. So that's really, uh, an open forum for people to not just kind of get updates on what the team is working on, Mm -hmm. but what other teams in the space are working on that's similar. Because I think one of the things I'm keen on is there's a two-way conversation where we're sort of being open about the stuff that we're tackling and how we're trying to tackle it, Mm -hmm. but also really seeing it, looking at other projects, what they're doing, how they're working, what's working, what's not working, what are the lessons we can learn? Absolutely. Yeah. Don't have to reinvent the wheel when you don't need to. Yeah. Well, wonderful. Thank you so much for spending this time with me I could talk to you for a lot longer and I really appreciate you coming on the the podcast today thank you very much Irina it's been a pleasure thank you so much Lisa a reminder that UX soup is presented as always by Strachy Analytics check out our latest user focus insight at sa-ux.com and please also remember to subscribe like or review UX soup on your favorite podcasting platform or by visiting our show page at ux-soup.com. You can also visit the show page to follow myself, Diana or Chris on LinkedIn. That's all for now. Thanks for listening.